Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James and tonight it's a quick podcast. Looking back at Wednesday's 0-0 draw at the Valley, it was a stalemate against Charlton Athletic. And we did very little to narrow the gap between ourselves and the top two. And tonight, to discuss everything that didn't really happen at the Valley, I've got on the phone Ben Jarman. How you doing, mate? Hello, Sammy. I'm good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. So you've uh, you've been at the Valley tonight. You're back in Essex. and. Yep. Well, it wasn't the most inspiring evening. Uh, we'll come on to it. I'll just do some three-word reviews before we delve into the match. Uh, starting off with Aid Robbins, who said, toothless, absolutely toothless. Uh, Adam Bright, away form issues. Yes, not been too great on the road in the past few months, although the Hull win uh, was an exception to that. Uh, J.E. Hark Nessel. Massively missing Mitro. Oh, great. Can't wait for that debate later in the podcast. Uh, and I liked this one. Think this will be the pod name. Matthew Chantry's Peaks and Valleys. What do you think about <laughs> oh, that? Yeah. yeah, I think that's excellent. Nearly as good as Nigel Van Mike from the other day. The, the, the standard is always very, very high, and, and we absolutely love to see it. All right, Ben. Um, very little happened at the Valley tonight. What was your initial assessment after the game? <laughs> It, it's hard not to be disappointed given the amount of enthusiasm we all went into this match with. Yeah, it was a massive opportunity that obviously Fulham missed out on. Um, it was a chance for us to close the gap on Leeds and West Brom and unfortunately we didn't take that chance at all. Um, we never looked like scoring. Um, there was only one real chance for Fulham and that was the Hector header from, uh, from a corner in which he broke off his man expertly and unfortunately couldn't convert on the header. But... Fulham, it didn't seem like from the moment the, the lineup was released to the moment we sort of took to the pitch that we were ever going to get a positive result. It just didn't seem right. There was too many passengers in the team and Charlton were very disciplined and we just couldn't break them down. Let's let's look at the lineup, Ben. Um, Knockart has added to our growing, very growing injury list. Um, so you had Harry Arter come in for knockout, bizarrely. There was a bit of debate before the match as to what exactly the lineup was. We tried to put out a lineup graphic and I had to put a little footnote in there saying this probably isn't right, but it's quite <laughs> hard to make a lineup graphic with four centre midfielders and work out where they were. What... I also, from from watching it, couldn't really tell. It seemed just like it was almost like a 4-3-3 with Onoma just playing much higher. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. So Onoma was shunted out onto the left wing um, and then Arthur came into the middle um, just in front of Kevin McDonald. But I think it it made it really, really disjointed because obviously Onoma isn't a winger and he doesn't know whether to stay wide or come inside. And what we found him doing was neither really coming inside and sort of showing every so often and then he didn't really get in behind um, and I think that made the left-hand side quite one-dimensional and easy to defend for Charlton. Um, Cavaliero and Bobby Reid tried their best to rotate up front but when you've got two massive um, centre-halves in Pierce and Lockyer um, shepherding those two it was really hard for the ball to stick and I think that's where we became a little bit undone. But Onoma did show some 
some good flashes, but I think left wing definitely is a position that he should be played in ever again. I think if anything, he'll be more suited to try and hold the ball up in the middle because he's got a bit more about him than Cavaliero and uh, Bobby Reid did. I, I was quite surprised given the situation that maybe Scott didn't think about going to the back five, which is what we've all been rumouring is going to happen with the arrival of Terence Congolo, maybe hampered with Congolo not quite being match sharp yet or exactly to the level that Scott would require. But it might have fixed the problems tonight because you could have got the wing backs out wide because that's what we're missing at the moment. We're miss- staggeringly, we're missing wide players. And if you ever thought that, I- that I'd be saying that in the summer, <laughs> um, especially it almost seems a shame that like Floyd Ite and Niskins Cabano can't do a job because they'd be straight in the side at the moment. Well, yeah, definitely. I think it was a little bit of a mistake to go as threadbare as we have done with the wingers, considering that we play a 4-3-3 and should there be a couple of injuries like there are now that we are literally down to the bare bones. Um, the bench was not the most attacking bench we've ever had, um, to put it nicely. And I think, realistically, there was only probably two attacking options on there in Jay Sandsfield and Luca Della Torre. Obviously, if I've missed another one, you can let no, me know. No, no, you but, haven't. You haven't. But there was, there was really nothing on there and... Uh, it's just it's such a shame. And I think tonight we saw probably the worst parts of Scott's decision-making as well. And I'm sure we'll come on to that a little bit later into the pod. Well, yeah. And, and the Metro debate rears its ugly head again. We were talking, well, you were talking, I wasn't on the podcast on Monday about whether we do miss him. And I, and I said after the Middlesbrough game that I don't think that we massively missed him. Yes, OK, he might have finished some of the chances that we created, but there's an argument to say, would we have created those chances in the first place had he been there? Tonight, though, it was perfect foil for him, really, wasn't it? A, a, a struggling Charlton side that he probably could have bullied a little bit and it would have been a game of attrition that would have really, really suited his game tonight. Yeah, well, in the Middlesbrough game, I wouldn't say we were better without him. We were just different without him. And it was a game that ultimately suited the way we set up because we won the the game in the midfield. That Middlesbrough were completely overrun from the moment they started. But in this Charlton game, it was a game, as you rightly say, that was calling out for Mitrovic to sort of bully those defenders. Pierce and Lockyer as a two in that that middle are some a, a, a kind of like a centre half partnership that you need to wear down over the game and then try and get the ball to stick and we just couldn't do that tonight and I think Mitrovic is that guy that's going to make the ball stick he's going to bring others into play and ultimately he's going to get on the end of a few crosses and some of the low driven crosses that we tried to put into the box today but unfortunately had no one there and I think obviously we missed his link up play we missed someone to be there just to rough up that defence and when we were playing later on into the game, we started to go long, started to look at a few more diagonals, and it just really didn't suit the players we had, had out on the pitch. Had we had Mitro there, or a replacement that is of, sort of similar size or, or stature, and I think it would have been a different game. There was one quote from Scott in his post-match presser that kind of annoyed me, really, and I've seen a couple of other people on Twitter pick up on this. He said... There is no denying that we have a lot of front-half players injured at this present moment in time, and this was certainly a game for an attacking piece of genius. And, well, that's what Scott's relied on for a lot of this season, is an attacking piece of genius. Sometimes that won't happen, Scott. Sometimes we need to think of clever ways to break down the opposition. I'd say Hull was a game where we completely relied on an attacking piece of genius. And... I don't know, there's something about that quote there where I just feel like 
yes, that's the point. We can't keep relying on that, Scott. We've got to we've got to think of different ways. But then the other part of me does think when you've got so many injuries and you look at that bench, what else? What else really could he have? done tonight is there any other formation that you think would have would have suited us better tonight that maybe could have fixed some of the problems that we had with the benefit of hindsight uh, I don't know I think we were a little curtailed by injuries as you said but I think the main problem here is that we saw perhaps what the worst facet of Scott's management is at the moment is that he takes too long to make a decision it was plainly obvious that from around about 55 minutes onwards that we needed some fresh blood in there and then when he did introduce press legs it was Cyrus Christie at right back and Dennis Odoi uh, ended up moving over to left back. And then Joe Bryan somehow ended up on the right wing. And you just look at that decision and you think, firstly, where on earth does it come from? And secondly, what are you trying to achieve? Because it just imbalanced the whole side. We didn't really actually make any difference. Um, and I think maybe putting a five at the back formation wouldn't actually have helped. Um, simply because it meant that we would have taken one out of the middle and that's where Charlton were breaking. I think, obviously, the injuries have hurt us, but then there are certain passages in the game and you would have seen the, the reaction on Twitter, I'm sure. But Tom Kearney tonight was probably one of the worst performances I've seen from him in a very long time. He was utterly dreadful. Um, mm. And then, uh, if, like Scott says, you rely on attacking genius. If your biggest playmaker is being marked out of the game by Darren Prattley, uh, then you're in real big trouble. Yeah, it's one of those, watching on the telly, you just don't quite get that angle of seeing Tom Kearney's performance, mostly because I just didn't really notice him tonight. But I imagine when you're there, you kind of, you see the movement or lack of it from from Kearney. I mean, he's been missing a spark for quite a while. I thought there was shade parts of the Middlesbrough game where he was kind of back to his normal class. But yeah, it's, it's a t- tricky one with Tom and I still feel like you can't drop him. But at the same time, he does really need to pick up his performances and probably is only in the team at the moment because there's such a lack of other options out there. And if you, I mean, we were lacking creativity as it was if you take Tom Kearney out. Um, there's not an awful lot more left um let's come on to a positive angle which is the defense at the moment it's four clean sheets in the league from our past five before that we hadn't kept a clean sheet in six games Hector looked imperious again tonight he it's effortless to him he his positioning is wonderful and then when he gets there he's so clinical with it there's no messing around there's no trying to dilly-dally and on the other side you saw Tim Ream whose touch tonight seemed to desert him all night I mean we've we've signed a class player there he's come in and had an instant impact and yes it's frustrating that we got a nil-nil draw tonight but let's be a little bit grateful because this time last month I never thought we were going to keep a clean sheet ever again yeah, by far and away, our standout player tonight against Charlton. And he basically curtailed all of their attacks, especially when uh, they were trying to come through Tom Mohamed. Um, he was playing a, a pretty lonely role up front, it has to be said. Um, but yeah, I thought, as you say, he was imperious. He was um, incredibly physical. Uh, he was calm on the ball. Most of our attacks did start for his incisive passing, although um, perhaps his, his um, diagonals towards the end of the game became a little bit too predictable. But I think we've made an excellent pickup here and he's someone that can now start to cover for the mistakes that Reem is making. And I thought for about 25, 30 minutes tonight that Tim Reem actually did look really good and then sort of the game caught up with him. 
Um, but the only thing I worry about is perhaps that they're, they're too similar, but I think that Hector is just a, a level above what we've currently got. And in this league, he'll be a massive defender for us. And we've been lucky to secure his signature for sure. And um, I think him coming into the the, de- the defence has just given us a breath, breath of fresh air because he's just added some impetus into it, some real leadership. And he's a real talker on the pitch. And that's not something we really had across that back four for the opening half of the season. And yeah, I just think that an excellent pickup from us and he slotted in nicely. I'm really excited to see where Congolo is going to go, if it's going to be next to him and we keep as a four or if we transition into a five because Congolo and, and uh, Hector as a, as a centre-half pairing is is pretty exciting to say the least. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully there'll be plenty more clean sheets on the way. And, and for me, it seems like the perfect opportunity, the cup game, to bring in Terence Congolo. Yes, um, getting pummeled 7-0 at the Etihad, <laughs> maybe not the best way um, to introduce a defender into the team. But a bit similar to how we brought Hector in in the FA Cup. And actually, Hector made a mistake in that match, didn't he? Um, that led to Villa's goal. And maybe Congolo will make a couple of mistakes, probably because he's going to be terrorised um, by Pep Guardiola's side but still hopefully he can bed in in that game and then he's got best part of a week to get ready for ironically oh wait he can't play against Huddersfield can he no (laughs) oh I was me getting really excited that he'll start against Huddersfield so hopefully then he'll have a two-week break um before he can play Blackburn well I mean Ben I don't feel like there's there's an awful lot more talking points Hector's missed chance um is there anything else that you saw at the Valley that was even worth mentioning tonight? It's such a it's it's such a disappointment. Yeah, it, it really is a disappointment, and I think yeah, as you say, other than Hector's chance, um, the lack of presence around with obviously Mitrovic leaving and then or being injured, and then um, Scott's tactical decisions, especially with the lineup, and then in game, I don't think there was really much else to talk about. You know, it was a little bit drab, it was a little bit dross, and. Unfortunately, Fulham looked toothless. The passing was dreadful throughout, really. And um, it was summed up by Kearney trying to play the ball out to Joe Bryan at left back and completely missing him by about 10 yards and just standing with his arms spread wide like, well, where were you then? Um, But yeah, other than that, there's there's not really too much to talk about. It's just massively frustrating and a little bit downheartening because we had an opportunity to close the gap on Leeds and West Brom against a team that had won one in five games, had nine players out, have rotated their squad, made six changes, and we just didn't take it. And it just feels like that fit. It just feels like Fulham this season was just so inconsistent. And I feel bad because on the podcast earlier on this week, I said it looked like we were turning a corner. And then we see all the worst bits of Scott's management and, and how fragile this squad can be if we get a number of injuries in key areas. I think my thing, though, that I will take away from tonight, and... It's very easy for me. I was sat in a heated studio and I was watching on a screen and I wasn't in the freezing cold down in southeast London. And um, don't get me wrong, if I could have been there, I would. But (laughs) a nil-nil draw away from home at a side like Charlton, who, yes, not on the greatest run, but have been quite a good side this season. It doesn't look great. And yes, it's missed an opportunity to narrow that gap on Leeds and West Brom. and, And should they win next week? Yes, they'll extend the gap again. But I still think it leaves us with a little bit of momentum. Okay, it wasn't a win. But I think quite a lot of times this season, actually, we've not just 
ground out a draw and we've ended up losing. I feel like games against Preston, against Brentford, we're actually, let's just grind out a draw here. It's away from home at a tough ground and we've come out with a point tonight. We're a, we're a point closer. We're nearly at 50 now. Um, we're still going to be in third or fourth place come the Huddersfield game. I just, I don't think it's the end of the world and I don't think it's season defining at all and I don't think it's the opportunity gone I saw a few people saying playoffs it is then and I just think this season has taught us that there is an awful lot of football left to play and it could have been a 15 point gap at Christmas had we lost to Leeds it's now a three point gap to Leeds yes this game's in hand all of that but I just Maybe it's easy for me to say because I didn't freeze my nuts off at the Valley tonight, but I, I'm I'm still not feeling doom and gloom, Ben. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly feeling doom and gloom. Obviously, we're third. We're in reachable distance. But I think the thing is the, men- the mental momentum that you have when you go into a game. And now if we'd have won that game, it would have been one point off Leeds. And Leeds are suddenly looking over their shoulders. They've had a bad run. So West Brom, who have just lost Dean Garner for what looks like it could be a long time, and we're all of a sudden right there and we're in a position where we've got, you know, our star striker missing, but we're still picking up big wins. And I get it. It's, it's, a, it's a ground that's hard to go to, but the wind could have been there today had our quality not lacked as much. And it felt like the only, pe- the only people that let themselves down there were Fulham because we could have had three points and we could have been within touching distance. But as you say, a massively long, long run in still to come. Um, it's, like, it's still one of the best teams in the league and uh, the, there is still every opportunity to go up automatically if we can put it together Alright well Ben um, we can leave it there for the Charlton analysis a, a little bit of a look ahead to City at the weekend I mean what can you say <laughs> we're going up to the Etihad Stadium City haven't been as imperious this season as they have been in seasons gone by but they're still pretty comfortably second and are only so far behind because Liverpool have been an absolute monster this year you'll imagine they will make several changes I know that Pep treats the cup competitions very very seriously they are the holders of course Um, but they do have um, a League Cup semi-final coming up only a few days later uh, against Man United. But no matter what side Pep puts out, it's going to be an awful lot stronger than ours. I'm kind (laughs) of just hoping that Fulham make a bit of a game of it. Don't disgrace themselves. Wouldn't it be great if we could get a goal? Um, I think that's got to be the mentality that Scott goes out there and say, play with freedom. But, you know, stay organised and keep this tight. Don't um, yeah. lose your heads. And also, don't let Sunday define you as players or this season. We gained some momentum definitely after beating Villa. I'd hate for that to then go back out the window after a horrific loss at the Etihad. Yeah, I'd just love us to stay a little bit more disciplined. Try and cause them a few issues. They have been a bit, I wouldn't say suspect, but they've been a bit um, gettable at the back. And with... Laporte only coming back. I'm not sure if I would risk him for two games in one week. Obviously, he played uh, last night for, for City. So we'll see um, if he's back or not. The thing is, I was talking to Nathan about this. And when we talk about City putting out a perhaps weakened or rotated squad, you know, arguably that midfield's probably going to look at maybe Gundogan, Foden, and then maybe Bernardo Silva or David Silva. And you just look at that and think, that is just an immense midfield. I don't... I haven't seen Gundogan for a while, so maybe he could be into actually. But yeah, that their their rotation will still have a a very big uh, quality feel to it. And I just hope that we go there and we we show some face. You know, if we uh, 
we nick a goal, absolute scenes, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's all that really can be said about City. From a Fulham perspective, um, who would you like to see in the lineup? How many changes do you think Scott Parker will make for the for the Villa game? He kind of just dropped essential players. Um, yeah. One of those being Mitrovic. He doesn't have to worry about that um, on Sunday. I would be surprised if he makes too many changes, uh, yeah, in all I honesty. Think... I don't think he's got that much flexibility to make too many changes at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was about to say. It feels like his hands are tied on making all those subs. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Congolo come in and if they are going to transition to a five at the back, why not test it now? Obviously, you can find out the flaws pretty quickly with a team like City playing against you. So just go for it. Um, you know, if you want to test uh, like Cyrus or Dennis out at right wing back, then then go for it. Um, if you want to try and get the balance right in the midfield, then why not now? Um, it seems like a sort of blank canvas approach to this game. It's almost like a throwaway as much as we'd like to win the cup or get further or, you know, just beat City or cause them some issues. Again, it gives us a massive opportunity to try something new that perhaps we can transition into the league. Um, and I think it would be nice to see Parker, you know, have a little bit of an experiment in there. The only thing I'm worried about is that perhaps um, Ivan Cavaliero might need a little bit of a rest, considering he's beasting his way through 90 minutes at the moment, trying to do everything for us. Um, but yeah, I, I expect to see Congola come in, and if he's going to change it, why not change it now? You know, just look at it as a positive, even though the result may not be such a positive one at the end of the game. Yeah, I think that would be the one for me. I'd like to see Congolo come in and you'd imagine someone like Stefan Johansson would be quite good in there. We might be a bit leggy um, after you know so many games in such a short yeah. amount of days and maybe someone like Steph doing some running in the middle um, might be a little bit of a help. But I don't expect to see too many other changes. Uh, if you're at a loose end for where to watch the City game, uh, this weekend and you're not heading up to Manchester uh, quite a few of the Fulhamish lads are heading to the Old Suffolk Punch which is uh, a famous haunt for the uh, for the Fulhamish lads we're going to be recording a podcast straight from there afterwards so if, you, if you're at a loose end it's not a formal event or anything like that but if you fancy coming down and you're not sure where to watch it on Saturday, uh, or Sunday sorry, come to the Old Suffolk Punch we'll be there have a laugh they've always got great food in there as well so uh, please do come down okay Ben um it's getting pretty close to midnight now and uh, I imagine you need your beauty sleep for uh, a tough day of work ahead. Um, we just need to name the podcast. Uh, do you agree if I go for Matthew Chantry's Peaks and Valleys? Absolutely, yeah. World class, that one. It had to be valley related, didn't it, after tonight? And uh, I noticed that lots of the three-word reviews were along that line. Well, Ben, thank you very much for taking part in this pretty ad hoc podcast. No worries, mate. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening today. Fulhamish will return on Sunday, slightly earlier, uh, recording than normal. So have a good few days and let's go and beat Man City at the Etihad. Sounds pretty simple, eh? Come on, you whites. Come on, you whites. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us... 
Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.